Take your Bibles this morning and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John, chapter 4. Familiar passage of Scripture and a passage that identifies a woman who came empty and got filled, who came desperate and got rescued, who came just as she was. Aren't you thankful that as new creatures in Christ Jesus, old things are passing away and behold, all things are becoming new? That's why we talk a lot about challenged and changed and conformed to the character of Christ because although we can come to him just as we are, he does not intend us to stay that way. He intends to do a work of grace in our lives and challenge us and change us and conform us to the character of his son, Jesus Christ. What do you look for in a healthy church? Mark Deaver has written a book. It's entitled Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and some of the material that we're going to be looking at over the next number of weeks comes from this book. In the introduction, he writes this. We need a new model of the church. Actually, the model we need is the old one. Simply put, we need churches that are self-consciously distinct from the culture. We need churches in which the key indicator of success is not evident results, but persevering biblical faithfulness. We need churches that help us recover those aspects of Christianity that are distinct from the world and that unite us around the person of Jesus Christ. If you were in ABF this morning, we studied the church at Pergamum. Thank you, Aaron. A church that tried to be culturally correct. And yet a church that as the one who had the two-edged sword identified, recognized that they had gone after the world, Balaam. They were involved in the things of the world and were not identified as a church that was counter-cultural. What do we look for in a healthy church? We look for biblical preaching. Because it is the word of God that is truth. It is the word of God that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is the word of God that the spirit of God uses to work in our hearts and draw us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. We look for biblical preaching. We also look for biblical worship. Worship that is a lifestyle of Jesus. Worship that allows us to enter our culture with a message of challenge and change with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? The gospel tells us some things about ourselves. Tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Because the reality of the gospel is not how bad we are, it's how good we're not. And there is none righteous, no, not one. And because of that, the wages of sin is death. That's the gospel. But the good news is, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Down the road, we are going to look at one of the identities of a healthy church is a biblical gospel. A gospel that identifies God's love for us and his gift to us, but our responsibility to respond and receive the wonder of the good news that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and rose again. Aren't you thankful for that? He rose again, according to the scriptures. Now, last week we began to look at this text And you are familiar with it because it is a text that identifies Jesus' ministry in Samaria. An interesting place. A place where many Jews did not go. Now if you look at the life of Jesus, there are two other instances where Samaritans are identified. They're both in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 10 gives to us the account of the good Samaritan. You remember that? There was a man going from Jerusalem up the road. He was mugged. Religious people passed by him because they didn't identify with him or they didn't want to be bothered by him. And a good Samaritan, one that was despised by the culture, came along and invested in his life and took him and said, whatever it takes, you take care of him. And if it's more than I give you now, I'll take care of that later. The other time that Jesus was involved with Samaritans is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. And it's the time when the ten lepers came to him. And Jesus said to the lepers, go present yourself to the priest and you will discover that you're healed. Remember that? There was one that came back with an attitude of gratitude to thank Jesus what he had done. And you know who that one was? It was a Samaritan. Interesting. Now we discover that Jesus is going from Jerusalem and the wilderness up to Galilee. And we'll look at a map in just a minute. But he needs to go through Samaria. And our take-home truth last week was this. You can find worship in some of the most unusual places have you discovered that in your life I had someone come to me following the morning service and she said pastor you're right you know it's always good to hear pastor you're right she said I was weeding this past week at a public place down by the YMCA and someone I did not know came and helped me pull weeds And she said, we got to talking, and I discovered that she was a Christian, and we got to praising God there in the middle of the YMCA parking lot weed fest, whatever it was. I looked for this place. I couldn't find it, but it's there, I'm sure. And we began to worship together. You can find worship in some of the most unusual places, and that's what God has called us to do. To go into this world and show this world what he is all about and who he is and what he's done. Let me give you the take-home truth for today. Worship is not about a place, but it's about a person. 
We call this the worship center. And it should be a place of worship, but it's not about this place because it's about the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know that worship is a, not about a place, it's about a person. And may I say this? That person is not you. We many times in our own world get an idea of what worship ought to look like. And we package it very tightly and say, if it isn't like this, then it's not. Let me tell you something. You can't put Jesus in a box. And worship is all about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you can see the acrostic that we're working our way through, and that acrostic is worship. Can you see that? All right. I didn't know if you could with all of this up here. Last week, we began this series, and we said that worship is water to the thirsty person. You know the account. Do you have it here in John chapter 4? Look with me, beginning with verse 4. And he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, we said that was about noon. A woman from Samaria, verse 7, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And in the text, the woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, to give you a drink? You don't even have a bucket to go to the well. And Jesus said, if you really knew of the water that I wanted to give you, you'd recognize that it is living water. Worship is water for thirsty people. If you want refreshment in your life, start to worship. If you want to refocus your life, start to worship. If you want a response that is biblical to all the pressure in your life, discover worship. Because it is water to thirsty people. And we needed that this past week with heat indexes above 100. I don't know about you, but I have discovered that even in the middle of February, with all of the pressures that I find in my life, my heat index goes up to about 100. You been there? Just got too much, more than I can handle. And when that happens, I know I better start worshiping. Because if I don't, I'm in trouble. Not only is worship water for thirsty people, but worship also opens closed doors. Verse 9 in our text says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Now, last week we showed this map, and I think it's important for us to understand this map. Jesus is down here in Jerusalem. He goes into the wilderness of Judea, and he's going up to Galilee. 
Now, most Jews who would do that would go through the Jordan River Valley. Now, I have thought about this a bit, and I've thought this might be equated to people from Michigan not wanting to drive through Ohio. Right? I knew I'd get an amen. But Jesus had under plan. You know, Ohio's okay. Jesus had other plans. And Jesus decided to go right to Galilee. And so he goes right through Samaria and he ends up at Sychar. Where he meets this woman at the well. If you never take yourself outside your comfort zone, you will never meet people who need to have the wonder of the good news of the gospel in their lives. One of the things that worship ought to teach us is that as we worship, it's going to open up wonderful opportunities for us to share Christ. I was sharing with one of our men this morning. He said, let me tell you about my neighbor. It's the best neighbor I've ever had, best neighbor anybody could ever have. He even comes over and mows my grass. I wish I had a neighbor like that. And he said, he asked me last week if, if I could come over and he could, if he could come over and he could talk with me. That never happened before. And long story short, the guy was having surgery and he wanted this person who he knew was a prayer to pray for him. So this person prayed the gospel. You know, it's amazing how you can preach when you pray. And wrote it all out and gave it to his neighbor and said, for me, will you please read these verses and go through them again? You know why that was effective? Because that neighbor had seen this individual worship. And if you're looking for opportunities to share Christ, open doors, worship. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He went through Samaria and he discovered these open doors. You know why? Because there are people all around us that are thirsty. And they don't even know it. And I stop right here and ask you this question. What area do you need to go through to open a door to present the gospel? Aaron very passionately this morning reminded us that we are all to be part of the Great Commission. We are all to go into all of the world now, you may not be able to go into the entire global world, but you can go into your world. And we go into our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worship opens doors. John chapter 4 is early in the ministry of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. John the baptizer says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that cool? John chapter 2 gives us his first miracle where he turned the, the water to wine. 
John chapter 3 gives to us Nicodemus. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was the message. And now John chapter 4, we have Jesus in Samaria with the woman at the well. I think it interesting, as you and I look at the ministry of Jesus, that the one who could take a few fish and loaves and feed 5,000 had to ask a woman for a drink. I strike you as strange? The one who could make the deaf to hear and the blind to see and the lame to walk sat down tired and requested physical refreshment for his body. The, the one who calmed the storms, the one who cast out demons, is at the well. You know why Jesus did that? Because he knew there was something larger than just getting a drink from Jacob's well. I also think it interesting that the text never tells us that Jesus got his drink. The text does tell us that the disciples, verse 8, went in for food to the village, went to the village for food and came back. And when they came back, they were amazed that Jesus was one talking to a woman and that Jesus didn't need anything to eat. And then Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's in our text. The disciples didn't get it. But worship will open doors of opportunity but those doors of opportunity need to lead to relationships. Verse 10. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him if he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, now last week I showed you the progression where Jesus is identified by the woman, first of all, as a Jew, and now he's identified as sir. And if you jump up to verse 19, he's identified as a, a prophet. And verse 25 says he's the Messiah. And if you go over to verse um, 42, you discover he's the Savior. You see that progression? The only way that took place is because Jesus is building a relationship with this person. The woman said to him, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than Jacob? Verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Water I give him will become him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. woman says, Sir, give me that. That's what I want. And Jesus says, go call your husband. That took relationship, didn't it? <laughs> because the woman said, I don't have a husband. said, you're right. You've had five of them. And the one you're living with right now isn't your husband. 
You don't say that to people unless you've got a relationship with them. And then the woman in verse 19 says, oh, you must be a prophet. <laughs> if you knew that about me, you must be a prophet. The reality was Jesus knew everything about her. This was a woman whom Jesus had never met. This was a woman with a questionable reputation. This was a woman who was an outsider to the community. But what did they have in common? They both needed water. And how did Jesus approach the woman? He said to the woman, you have what I need. That's interesting, isn't it? And what did Jesus share with the woman? I have what you need. And the woman's response was, wow. There must be something bigger going on here than I don't see. I think it interesting in verse 10, and we read over top of it, Jesus said, if you, you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Who is he? Jesus. What is the gift of God? Living water. That's what the woman had need of, wasn't it? You see, Jesus needed water, but the woman needed living water. There's a song back in the 60s or 70s. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. The world needs Jesus. We live in a culture that wants us to just love people the way they are. Well, I'm glad God does that through his son, Jesus Christ, and he sent his son to die for people the way they were. But that begins the transformation process. The world wants us to include people and affirm people. Jesus wants to transform people and affirm people of who they are in Jesus Christ. There's a difference. And it's all around us. Once you get this relationship going, you can begin to share God's truth. I think it's interesting that as they start to converse together about worship, the woman identifies what her practices are. Verse 20, are you there? The woman says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, I need to show you another map. And this is a map of Samaria. Jesus is at Sychar. And the woman says, hey, we worship at this mountain. And the mountain is Mark Gerizim. And it was a mountain that was very important to the Samaritans because it was a mountain that they identified, connected them to God's truth. They believed in the Pentateuch, kind of. And in the first five books of the Old Testament, they believed that Noah, when he landed the ark, landed it in Mount Gerizim, not Ararat. They believed that when Abraham offered his son Isaac, he was offered in Mount Gerizim. They believed that Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Gerizim. So so it was a place that that they held as holy. You, You know there are places like that today. Mecca in Saudi Arabia is thought of as a holy place. Rome is thought of as a holy place. Jesus identified Jerusalem as a holy place. And it certainly was important to the Jews because they had the responsibility of going there and celebrating the truth that God had given to them. Here in our country, Salt Lake City could be considered a holy place by some. Some might even consider Battle Creek a holy place because of the ministry of Mrs. White. But Jesus said, it's not about Gerizim, it's not about Jerusalem, it's all about God the Father and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. It's not about the place, it's about the person And as we recognize the truth of worship, we have to get beyond this concept that you got to go somewhere and do something in a specific way. But every day our lives ought to be tied to the wonder of God. Amen? Every day of our lives. You don't have to wait for the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday, to worship. Because worship is to be in spirit and in truth. Now let me talk a little bit about that. What's that mean? Well, we could put a capital S on spirit. 
And worship ought to be directed by the Holy Spirit in our lives as the Spirit brings things to our remembrance, as He convicts us of sin, and as He draws us close to the truth that God has for us. And that's certainly true. And you and I need to make sure that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit, that we do not clench the Holy Spirit, but that we allow Him to fill us. But I believe there's another application. That application is this. What's our everyday attitude toward God? Now, if we are sensitive to the Spirit, capital S, then our attitudes, spirits, small s, will be focused as they should be. That if we're going to understand something about this worship, we must recognize that our everyday attitudes needs to be that God is in control and that we can trust him no matter whether or not we understand it. I mentioned this in ABF. Yesterday at Brent Fast's mom's memorial service, I quoted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know those verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You believe those verses? That second phrase is an interesting phrase. And lean not unto your own understanding. You know there are a lot of things in life I just don't get. I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand why Brent's mom had Alzheimer's and didn't recognize her kids or her husbands or anybody else. I, I can get that. I, I don't get that. I don't understand why just two months ago we buried Brent's dad. His memorial service was May 18. His wife's memorial service was July 20. I don't get that. But I said this, even when we don't get it, God's got it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. When you and I don't get life, and there are a lot of things not to get in life, when we don't get it, God's got it. Amen? Do you believe that? Uh-huh. Yeah, until we don't get it. <laughs> I mean, that's the hard part, right? But it's all about our attitude. Either God's got it or he's not. Either God is faithful or he's not. Either God's got it or he doesn't. spirit and that's truth because God is faithful amen God can be trusted God does have everything in control and God does use all things together for our goodness glory You see, God's truth is that we are to worship him in spirit and truth, and that helps our focus in worship. 
That helps our focus. Jesus said the time's coming when <laughs> it won't matter where you are. It's not Gerizim, it's not Jerusalem. And by the way, you remember they took Jesus to Jerusalem to dedicate him in the temple when he was 12. Remember that? Jerusalem's important things. But it really helps our focus. And true worship restructures our lives. May I say that again? True worship restructures our lives. Because it moves us from those places that we think are so important. It moves us from those events that we think matter so much. It moves us from all the stuff. And it points our attention to him. Amen? That's worship. Two more very quickly. Worship invites others to join. May I direct your attention to verse 29? The woman goes into town, says the people, verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? <laughs> and then if you'll turn over to verse 39, the text says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And verse 40, 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Worship will invite others to join us in the wonder of the good news of the gospel. And worship proclaims a personal God. I, I love this text because there's a mini revival going on in Samaria. The oddest place among the people that you would least think would get it. <laughs> yep. That's worship. And the reality is, worship can be found in some of the most unusual places. Samaria. But worship isn't about a place. Worship's all about a person. And authentic, healthy churches understand what biblical worship is all about. And practice that 24-7, 365.